Cold weather chaos. It's been uh, overwhelming. The scramble to fix broken pipes and how the next weather system brings a new set of problems. Record-breaking power use. We reached our peak hourly demand record. How our grid is holding up to increasing demand while an emergency alert is declared in Alberta. And 2024 brings a new frontier in fraud. AI's gotten to a point now of creating legitimate looking things. The growing threat from AI scams and how to limit your risk. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Many homeowners and businesses are experiencing an unfortunate side effect of those record cold temperatures in Metro Vancouver. Pipes are bursting everywhere. Restoration companies are flooded with calls, but as John Waugh reports, there are things you should do while you wait for a fix. It's a bitter twist on an old expression. When it freezes, it pours. The water just starts to get inside, you know, all the way from the ceiling and gets into the, basically the whole part of the store. On Friday, a burst pipe of the sprinkler system in the residential unit above forcing Fresh Bay Pizza in West Vancouver to close for the first time in 14 years. It's a big damage, you know, even uh, you say there is insurance, but nobody gives you anything, you know, beforehand. Vancouver International Airport, BC Ferries, Mission Hospital, even this warming centre in Nanaimo. The people had been sitting inside, staying warm, and then the water just started gushing through the ceiling. All victims of a recent cold snap and thaw, pushing countless pipes beyond their breaking point. In the lower mainland, local restoration companies are being flooded with emergency calls. We're responding to as many as 10 floods a day, so we're just kind of overwhelmed with the amount of uh, projects that we're taking on. People with burst pipes are asked to do what they can themselves to mitigate the damage and start a claim with their insurance companies right away. There could be some small delays just because of the sheer volume of people that might have a claim or might be in a very similar situation. Be patient. Flooding from a burst pipe is typically covered under a regular home policy, but there are exceptions if a property has been left unattended. If your property is vacant and you have frozen pipes, there may not be coverage under your insurance policy. Just like if you go away and don't have anyone checking on your property. Those on the restoration front line say these extreme changes in weather are becoming the new normal. And maybe it's time for British Columbia to change the building code. Maybe changing the codes for insulating pipes. That should be uh, um, the nail in the coffin to stop a lot of these pipes from freezing over and seeing a lot of these, you know, 100, 200, $500,000 water claims. On his fourth day without selling a single pizza, business owners like Omid Pajuhi say the next cold snap can't come as a surprise. That's the things, you know, we have to follow for the next time. <clears throat> you know, the wind tries and getting ready for the anything, you know, because they could prevent it. While insulating their livelihoods from another disaster. John Hua, Global News. Getting ready is going to be key over the next 36 hours. We'll bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Tuesday night into Wednesday looks bad. What's on deck next, Christy? 
Yeah, the timeline you mentioned is exactly right. We're really urging drivers to stay off the roads beginning tomorrow evening right through Wednesday morning, potentially even into Wednesday afternoon. And I wouldn't rule out the possibility of a snow day being called by schools Wednesday morning. Here's a look. We could see anywhere from 5 to 15 centimeters of snow. The precipitation will be hovering around zero. There could be some rain, some heavy snow, and even a risk of freezing rain. Here's a look at the timeline. So Vancouver Island, the snow pushing in through the evening hours for you. Metro Vancouver, it's more likely late evening with the heaviest snow potentially overnight, but it will last into our Wednesday morning at that time becoming a mixed precipitation, even with the possibility of freezing rain. And we're not really expecting it to ease until the afternoon hours at the earliest. So that's a look at our forecast. We are urging everyone to really tune back in tomorrow. Chris, again, this is late tomorrow evening, so we'll have more details tomorrow. Sounds good. Christy, we'll check in a little later on the news hour here too. Well, it is unusual for temperatures to dip so low that ponds and lakes freeze around here. And although those natural skating rinks might be tempting, venturing onto the ice is still a big risk. Kylie Stanton reports. The sun is out, skates, and the game are on. For a Monday in January, it doesn't get any better than this. It's actually amazing. I love it so much. I feel like a real Canadian. Thanks to a recent cold snap that brought with it sub-zero temperatures, Trout Lake is now a rare outdoor rink. First time in Vancouver. But the signs here say it all. Well, you can hear it cracking today. It's a little warmer than it has been. Across BC, the thickness of the ice, or lack thereof, has resulted in some dangerous situations. On Saturday, firefighters in West Kelowna were called to Okanagan Lake to rescue a group who fell through the ice into the water, roughly 100 meters from shore. This was the result of uh, two individuals going in after a dog, and we do see this a lot. People need to remember that the ice is quite dangerous, and dogs Dogs are a lot lighter than we are. When the dog goes out there and walks on it, we tend to fall through. On Sunday afternoon, a teenager fell through the ice here at Maple Lake in Cumberland, where in some spots it can reach depths of more than six meters. He was lucky because he was able to pull himself out. You have to remember, the water temperature at this time of the year is about four degrees, and that won't take too long for the body to cool down and lose all your energy and all that thing. Now, with temperatures starting to fluctuate, officials are taking action. The city of Surrey putting up 59 signs at its 29 ponds, saying in a statement it does not measure ice or regulate skating on ponds. Please be aware that conditions can change quickly. Simply put, Don't go on the ice, or if you want to go on the ice, go someplace where the water is really shallow. Like that, you just if you go through, it's just you go knee deep and that's it. It's that safer. That's the case nearby at Woodrose Potato Farm. Well, when you fall through, it's only that deep, okay. so it's not too bad. A chance these skaters are willing to take. It'll be gone pretty quick. Kylie Stanton, Global News. BC Hydro says it was a record-breaking weekend. Not only did it provide more power than ever before to British Columbia, the utility is now helping out its neighbors, too. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, there are concerns demand might outstrip supply in the future. As the temperature plummeted, British Columbians cranked their heat. Friday, BC Hydro set an all-time record for power usage. We reached our peak hourly demand record at 11,300 megawatts. Despite that peak, 
Hydro was not only able to meet BC's needs, but shipped surplus power to both Alberta and Washington State. The transfer to Alberta preventing rolling brownouts as its grid was over capacity. We planned very carefully for these cold events. We saw the cold snap coming and, uh, and we ramped up generation. While BC Hydro met the demand of 11,300 megawatts, there isn't much room in the system. BC Hydro currently has enough generation capacity to produce about 12,000 megawatts of power at any given moment. With electrification of vehicles and home heating, demand for electricity is growing at unprecedented levels. According to critics, BC's plan is unsustainable. There's a study filed with the Utilities Commission that says that if even just 25% of people switch from natural gas to heat pumps, that on the coldest day of the year in Kelowna, the demand for electricity would go up 50%. Site C is set to come on stream next year, which will add 1,100 megawatt hours. According to Hydro, that's enough power to charge 1.7 million vehicles. And independent power producers are set to bid on increasing capacity further in the spring. Traditional sources of power may not be as reliable in the future. Reservoirs in the Peace and in the Kootenays at historic lows last summer. BC imported a record amount of power in 2023. Premier David Eby is confident in Hydro's ability to meet its obligations. Uh, and I'm so grateful uh, to the team at BC Hydro uh, for their careful work of managing our power supply so that we were able to respond in a moment of crisis. Slightly warmer weather has meant much less demand on the system since Friday, allowing Hydro to scale back its generation. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. More headwinds for BC ferries with mechanical issues once again taking one of the coastal class vessels out of service. Several morning sailings were cancelled when the coastal celebration experienced mechanical failure. Troy Charles is live in Tawasson. And Troy, what's the status update for the coastal celebration now? Chris, the Coastal Celebration is actually back in service this evening, it's supposed to leave Duke Point for Tawasin about 20 minutes ago. However, earlier today that was far from the case as the ship went down, causing multiple cancellations. There is the celebration this morning being towed to Departure Bay in Nanaimo. BC Ferries says the vessel was pulled out of service due to a mechanical difficulty with the propulsion system. Now, that may sound familiar because last summer, the Coastal Celebration was down for an extended period of time for propulsion system repairs. However, BC Ferries says today's mechanical issue was different than previous problems, which resulted in refits for Coastal-class vessels. To their engineering team's credit, by late afternoon, the Coastal Celebration was back online and service to resume with that 545 sailing that I mentioned. In addition, the Queen of Newestminster will continue to provide additional service on the route for the rest of the evening. And this all comes after five cancellations earlier today. We are pressing uh, BC Ferries. They are uh, implementing a number of changes on the personnel side to ensure that uh, they're able to respond with the people they need to keep sailings going, that sailings are not cancelled for a shortage of staff. Uh, but also, uh, they are in the process of preparing a significant uh, call for additional ships uh, to modernize the fleet. I feel like BC Ferries holds people hostage at, at their convenience, that's all. And they make us pay through the nose to get on it. I was supposed to be getting on this ferry so that I'd get home in time to walk my dog. So now I'm trying to figure out if I left a key outside and if I can get a neighbor to go and walk my dog. Well, Troy, uh, 
obviously doesn't sound like weather had much to do with the mechanical issues there, but the ferries were not immune to these freezing temperatures. It also caused some problems on BC ferries. Exactly, Chris. Have a look at this viewer video here and know that is not rain on the ferry car deck. That would be a water pipe burst yesterday afternoon on the Queen of Cowichan, likely from the extreme cold, which we heard a lot in John's story earlier there. It caused a 40-minute delay en route to Departure Bay. BC Ferry says the pipe has since been repaired. There you have it, Chris. I'd say not the best start to the new year for BC Ferries, but as I mentioned earlier, credit to them for getting the coastal celebration back on the water this evening, avoiding any additional cancellations. Passengers happy to hear that. Troy, thanks very much. That's Troy Charles down in Tawasson. A mini cabinet shuffle by BC Premier David Eby has cost a controversial cabinet minister her job. Mitzi Dean has been demoted from her post as Minister of Children and Family Development following calls for her resignation over a horrendous case of child abuse. Kristen Robinson has the details, but first a warning. Some of those details are disturbing. BC Premier David Eby polling embattled Minister Mitzi Dean from her post at the difficult Children and Family Development Ministry and appointing Victoria MLA Grace Lohr to the position. Minister Dean and I have been talking about uh, the challenges uh, facing this ministry uh, and our shared goal of delivering care for every single child in the province. Uh, and we've reached uh, together the uh, reluctant decision uh, to make a significant reset at the ministry. Dean had overseen several controversies, including the horrific case of two Indigenous children, one of whom died after being starved and tortured in a foster home while under the ministry's care. I'm absolutely horrified. I'm absolutely horrified. Last June, the minister repeating a similar line when interviewed by Global News after the Indigenous foster parents involved were sent to prison for manslaughter and aggravated assault. The death of my son and the abuse of his little sister, thank God she's still alive. You've done wrong. You should be held accountable for neglect. The father of the boy who died and the First Nations Leadership Council called for Dean's resignation. But the Premier says those calls did not impact his decision to reassign her to Minister of State for Child Care. Minister Dean has done uh, exceptional work in the role. Uh, she has led transition of responsibility over child Indigenous children in the system to First Nations. Uh, she has overseen uh, the reduction of the number of kids in care to the lowest level we've seen in this province, uh, and it's important work. Um, but we came uh, reluctantly to a shared decision. Critics of the ministry say the Premier's move is long overdue. We've seen the rate of deaths of vulnerable children in care go up dramatically, shocking amounts. We've seen overdose death rates amongst children going up shockingly amount, uh, in shocking amounts. And of course, we saw the attack on parents with autistic children trying to strip away their funding, which caused a huge amount of anxiety right across the province. So good move in this case. Green Party MLA Adam Olson adding, the ministry's chronic accountability issues have long failed children and families. MCFD needs to be fundamentally transformed and rebuilt from the ground up. Whether it's a rebuild or a reset, Lore now has one of the toughest jobs in government, overseeing one of the most challenging portfolios in the cabinet. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this mini cabinet shuffle. Uh, Keith, Grace Lore steps into a big assignment, as Kristen mm -hmm. uh, mentioned there. How tough is this portfolio? 
Oh, it's tough. We've done so many stories over the year, all the tragedies associated with this portfolio, more than any other portfolio in, uh, in government. And again, the turnover rate is pretty significant. Take a look at these stats as they break down. First of all, the ministry was only created back in 1996 in the fall under the Glenn Clark government. There have been 14 ministers in just 27 years. The average term is less than two years, one year and 11 months. Interestingly enough, Mitzi Dean served one of the longer terms here. She was in a little more than three years. Her predecessor, Katrina Conroy, was in a little more than the three years as well. And of course, Stephanie Cadu was the longest serving minister uh, in that portfolio under Christy Clark at a uh, little more than four years. So the turnover is significant, far more, I think, than any other portfolio. And again, not a lot of ministers or politicians look forward to being appointed to that position. In fact, Christy Clark, back in 2004, when Gordon Campbell moved her from education to that job, she balked at it at first and sort of delayed the cabinet shuffle that day before they talked her into taking the job. So again, not a, a ministry that's looked on enviably at all by any minister. And Grace Laura's got some big uh, chores ahead of her to ensure mm -hmm. that we don't see more tragedies as we've seen since that ministry was created 27 years ago. All right. Let's hope the best in that ministry mm -hmm. and beyond. Thanks very much, Keith. Commercial vehicle inspectors are on scene after what appears to be yet another incident of an overheight commercial vehicle hitting a highway overpass. It happened around 4 p.m. today on Highway 1 through Burnaby. And it appears the load, a helicopter fuselage wrapped in plastic, came into contact with the bottom of the brunette overpass. Luckily, this time, there doesn't seem to be any damage to the overpass, and traffic was able to keep moving. Meantime, the B.C. government has suspended the license of the company that owns the truck that hit the Massey Tunnel last week. The Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure launched an investigation after the truck was recorded hitting the roof, causing sparks in the busy tunnel. The company responsible has been identified as TSD Holdings Limited. All 20 vehicles in its fleet have been pulled off the road and will remain so until the investigation is complete. Breaking up is hard to do, especially when there's a pet involved. So B.C. is bringing in new rules in custody disputes that involve dogs, cats, and any other four-legged furry or feathered friend. What the couples now have to consider, or the courts will do it for them. Next on the News Hour. A new scam alert from the BBB, why you should think twice if a friend asks for a simple favor. Plus, ditching cars for bicycles even in the winter. Why more people are making the switch, coming up a little later. Right now, though, major changes are coming in B.C. courts to the way they'll decide who gets to keep the family pet in cases of separation or divorce. As Richard Zussman reports, under the amendments to B.C. family law, pets will no longer be considered simple property. Many households consider their pets as full-fledged members of the family. Now, when it comes to custody, the law sees it the same way. But that uh, pets are not treated as simply property, that their special place in the family is considered by the courts. Starting Monday, during a divorce or separation, instead of dividing up who gets pets the same way as possessions, such as furniture, Factors like the ability for someone to care for a pet or the animal's relationship with a child will be considered. The court's able to use this framework to place a pet if an agreement can't be reached. Pet owners supportive of the change. I think whoever the animal is most bonded to, you got to think about what's best for the animal. I imagine you'd want to share an animal like you would kids. I know, we're pretty attached to our dog. BC now the first province in Canada with these rules, moving beyond just who bought or adopted the animal 
and factoring trauma and the pet's safety as well. And it breaks new legislative ground for treating companion animals as valued family members. BC's actually set up a new family law model for other jurisdictions in Canada to follow. And with this change now done, the province looking at more changes to family law, including allowing courts to take into account intimate partner violence during custody cases. A lot of changes are on the table right now and we'll be happy to come back once we have a package of changes that are going to be made to our system after the engagement. I encourage you and I ask you to please share your story. Our voices matter, your voices matter, your story can help government. <laughs> An acknowledgement, the province considering all voices in updating animal law, even if they may be a bark or a meow. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, AI scams that are almost impossible to spot. It's hard for a normal person to be able to tell the difference between a real photo and a fake one. The emerging threat when artificial intelligence falls into the wrong hands. Plus, what's believed to be a serial break-in suspect. How many times he's hit the same neighborhood? Coming up. There's no question, scams are becoming more and more sophisticated, and cybersecurity experts are warning artificial intelligence in the hands of criminals is becoming a game-changer. With more, we'll bring in Consumer Matters and Drua, who's been looking into this issue. And Thanks, Chris. When it comes to scams for 2024, many cybersecurity experts say AI-generated fraud tops the list. Criminals are quickly learning how to exploit this technology, which means it's getting more and more difficult to know what is real and what is not. The functioning shopping cart that you can go down and click on the products and get... This may look stuff. like a legitimate online shopping site equipped with merchandise, a login and checkout feature, but none of it is real. Cybersecurity expert Chester Wisniewski represents Sophos, a global security research firm. In an effort to raise awareness about the dark side of artificial intelligence, his colleagues doing research at a security conference were able to use AI to generate this entirely fake e-commerce site in about seven minutes at a cost of about eight dollars. Simply something looking legitimate doesn't make it real. And that's a serious concern going forward. With advances in AI, experts predict scams will become increasingly more sophisticated and deceptive. In fact, experts warn the telltale signs of a scam now no longer apply. We used to tell people to watch out for spelling and grammar mistakes. We used to tell people to watch out for things that didn't quite match the right imagery or logos or different things of brands that they trust and follow. Those kind of telltale signs have been wiped away by artificial intelligence. I am not Morgan Freeman, and what you see is not real. The fakes are getting good enough that it's hard for a normal person to be able to tell the difference. What's up, Internet? I'm north of the border, eh? <laughs> One scam in particular which Nevsky expects to see more of in 2024 is the romance scam, which is now being replaced with chatbots, programmed through AI to have human-like conversations. It used to be a human was on the other end pretending to be the interested person on the dating site or whatever it was, and that's now being replaced with these chatbots, which is allowing them to scale up. Once we see it uh, become automated like this, that allows the criminals to do these uh, uh, large-scale attacks at scale. 
As for those annoying fraudulent phone scams and text messages, they won't be going away. In fact, they'll likely get worse. AI technology can clone voices, even of family members, which means fraudsters can customize their attacks. Your best defense? Be skeptical. Go take a look, find legitimate sources to confirm things if they don't seem uh, right to you because your instincts are probably correct. That is so true. And when it comes to protecting yourself from AI-related scams, avoid unsolicited emails and text messages. Don't click on links and avoid sharing personal information. Use caution when answering the phone call. Try calling a trusted family member directly if you need help. When shopping online, go to legitimate sites you know and trust. Also report any scams to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. And if you have a... Consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Got to be constantly vigilant. Thanks for the tips there, Anne. Well, gift card scams are also evolving, and the newest con has scammers posing as family or friends asking for a simple favor. The Better Business Bureau says fraudsters are sending seemingly legit emails to victims asking for help buying a gift card for someone and promising to pay you back. The scammer then gets the victim to buy a physical gift card at the store and send them the pin, essentially giving them free money. The Bureau says reach out to your family or friend directly to confirm their request and don't do business with anyone insisting on using gift cards as payment. A North Delta community is getting hit with repeated break-ins and police believe most of them are connected. From November 15th to January 10th, there have been six break-and-enters in homes just southeast of the Fraser River, west of Brook Road and east of Center Street near 84th Avenue. Investigators have identified connections between four out of the six incidents. The homes are typically targeted during the daytime or twilight hours. Thieves smash glass doors or windows at the rear of the homes to gain entry. A suspect appears to be a man around 30 to 50 years old who's often wearing a baseball cap and a partial face covering. Police believe a silver or gray mid-sized sedan might be associated with the crimes too. Alberta's power grid pushed to the limits. We've been under what we call a grid alert uh, condition. The emergency alert that got so close to rolling blackouts. And coming up later in sports, the Canucks have been road warriors, but today's overtime nail-biter reveals a rare weakness in their game. Another bitterly cold day, another grid alert across Alberta. The fourth alert in just days was sent out this morning and lasted for more than an hour. The energy system there is still experiencing unprecedented demand as the province looks for a longer-term solution. As Alberta slowly starts to thaw its way out of record low temperatures, its energy system is doing the same. We've been under what we call a grid alert uh, condition. That's where we've used all available power to meet demand and then we're now having to use backup power. Thursday saw the highest power demand in the province's history. Then Saturday, an unprecedented emergency alert went out, urging people to turn off lights and appliances they didn't need. The province, which has run national ads warning about blackouts, was nearly faced with them. We did everything we could to be prepared for this. But the utilities minister says a perfect storm hit. Natural gas facilities went offline, there wasn't enough wind to power turbines, and daylight is limited, meaning so is solar. That is exactly why we're looking at every aspect of our grid, from generation through transmission and distribution, to say, 
where are the weak points and how do we stabilize that? In a province known for oil and gas, about 30% of power comes from renewables and that number is climbing. Alberta is exploring other types of electricity too. We are so excited to partner with Ontario Power Generation. Alberta's Capital Power is partnering with Ontario Power Generation to plan the province's first nuclear power reactor. When we underwent what we went through this past weekend, it really just amplifies the importance of finding dispatchable and decarbonized electricity, and nuclear is a solution for that. Alberta saw its energy output grow by about 13% in 2023 with the addition of more thermal, wind and solar. And 2024 is expected to surpass that. Which will be a big benefit to us when we are, when the grid's under a lot of pressure during periods of extreme heat or extreme cold as we're, we're now faced with. Because while the province is warming now, another deep freeze is inevitable. Brianna Carsten-Smith, Global News. In health matters tonight, the province has expanded free access to the HPV vaccine to include young men born in 2005. Men born between January and June 2005 have until the end of June this year to receive the free publicly funded vaccine. Young men born later than 2005 are already eligible. On Tuesday, 23,000 men who are registered in the system will be sent a reminder to get vaccinated as soon as possible if they haven't already. In order to be eligible, those in B.C. need to have their first dose of the HPV vaccine before they turn 19 and have their last dose before they turn 26. What's driving the extreme cold across Canada? These cold snaps or these polar vortices Outbreaks are becoming more common. It's an El Nino winter, so why the deep freeze? We'll have more on that, and Christy has the details of our forecast coming up next. Plus, icy encounter, how an alleged thief was foiled when the suspect went slip-sliding away. After a milder start to winter thanks to El Nino, some Canadians might be wondering what happened. Several provinces are now dealing with extreme cold. Global's Sean Preble spoke to the experts about these dramatic fluctuations. Whether it's a runny nose, frozen ears, or seeing our breath in the air, we're finally experiencing the effects of cold winter weather amid El Nino's move into Canada. But atmospheric physics professor Kent Moore says this deep freeze is not unexpected. And so during, during an El Nino, we expect warmer temperatures, but we can't get these fluctuations where it gets cold. El Nino typically has an impact on the jet stream, the region of high winds that makes its way across the globe. When that system is in effect, less Arctic air comes into parts of Canada, and therefore we get the warm weather we've seen. Lately, that Arctic air, a polar vortex, has shifted south alongside the jet stream, leaving many of us bundling up. Some of the prairies saw temperatures below minus 30, and Alberta has been dealing with electric grid alerts, asking residents to limit electricity during peak power periods. Moore says climate change is likely playing a role as well, impacting how the jet stream is behaving. There is some evidence that as we warm the planet up, these cold snaps or these polar vortices Outbreaks are becoming more common. Yet while Canadians deal with record-breaking cold, he says El Nino is still in place. And unlike the day-to-day -day weather, that system has a longer-term plan. On a time scale of a month or so, we should be above average, but we can still get these cold snaps. 
Global News meteorologist Ross Hull says we have a few more days of this cold, but as we move through January, we'll see some of that milder weather return from coast to coast. However, we could still see some cold snaps this winter, so don't put away those winter jackets just yet. Sean Preville, Global News. Global News Senior Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now, and two systems are going to collide right over Metro Vancouver, and uh, people are going to be advised to stay off the roads when and if that happens, right? That's exactly right. So this is a big call out to everyone to tune in tomorrow as well. Avoid non-essential travel. I just want to quickly show you, we had so many people emailing us photos of the sunset tonight. It was stunning. So thank you to everyone. Yes, it was beautiful. So non-essential travel is what we want to avoid. This is beginning tomorrow evening for the South Coast right through Wednesday morning. Here's the reason why. As Chris said, two systems colliding. This is what we call an inside slider impacting the central interior regions significantly through the morning hours. Southern BC, though, won't see it until late in the day as it combines with this Pacific system, bringing in that substantial moisture to bring in those substantial snowfall numbers that we could see across the south coast. But again, it's always highly variable because it's around that freezing mark. So we'll be watching it closely and it comes with a risk of freezing rain. By evening hours, though, it starts to shift out of the region. However, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of still a little bit of snow across the Metro Vancouver region, even in the afternoon hours. So this is on the upper end, but it gives you an idea of what we could see through Wednesday. So again, for the South Coast area, I'm really urging everyone to tune in in the morning hours. It's only a special weather statement at this time because there is that high and uncertainty still, but we are still expecting a, an impact on the travel. So avoid travel into Wednesday morning and tune in because there may be a snow day called. In the meantime, mostly dry across these southern regions. The bulk of the central, uh, the snowfall will be in the central interior caribou region tomorrow but we will start to see it beginning late tomorrow evening and that will impact the area overnight into our Wednesday morning with substantial amounts possible by Thursday though it begins to warm up and that's when we're expecting it all to wash away tonight's central weather window coming to you from the Fraser River where Natalie captured this really cool shot showing the ice moving and I just have one more showing the sea smoke uh, that it was uh, captured out in the Strait of Georgia from Kirk Bauman which which is, uh, I guess, calling Christie's um, stepbrother. Oh, really? Oh, there's the connection mm -hmm. there. Very cool photos. And yeah, what a beautiful sunset tonight. Well, the icy conditions aren't all bad. They did help foil a Facebook marketplace robbery. Vancouver police say Saturday evening, a 24-year-old man met with someone to buy an iPhone in the 3900 block of Inverness Street. The seller fled after giving a fake phone to the buyer for $1,200, but ended up slipping on ice and dropping the money as he fell. The suspect then assaulted the victim and ran off, but the buyer was able at least to recover the money that was dropped. Police are still looking for the suspect, and they continue to investigate the incident. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Will the Canucks be investigating how they can get better at shootouts? Well, let's put it this way. The good news is there are no shootouts in the playoffs. That's good. That's the good news. The uh, Canucks <laughs> finished off their seven-game road trip this morning in Columbus. They lost in a shootout, but they still got a point. And, of course, they did win five of the seven games on this excursion. Listen, that was a, uh, a good road trip. Like, we had a, uh, you know, we came together as a team, I thought. JT Miller scored one of the goals today. It was a strange one. The Canucks now head home. They play Arizona at home on Thursday.
thankful for that desert warmth, no doubt. Also tonight, chill thrill. Why so many cyclists refuse to give up their rides even when winter hits. Navigating through airports is a challenge at the best of times. In the middle of an epic snowstorm, well, it was tough. Driving from Buffalo to Toronto in a blizzard, <laughs> Yeah, that's one brave bus driver. And then that's how the Canucks got out of Buffalo, which had the blizzard, mm -hmm. of course, and then got to Columbus for this morning's game. The Canucks did do a lot on this seven-game road trip. They took over first place in the overall standings point-wise. They got 11 out of a possible 14 points. They were able to beat all the New York, New Jersey teams on the same road trip, they've never done that before. And as we just said, they were able to escape a Buffalo blizzard. In order to play Columbus this morning, they lost in a shootout 4-3, which means we have finally figured out the one thing the Canucks are not good at this season, shootouts. They've only had two, but they haven't scored in either of them. If you put a goalie in, put five players in front of that goalie, the Canucks can score a lot of goals give their stars a breakaway in the shootout, and for some reason they can't score. But you still get a point for losing, and as we said, no shootouts in the playoffs. Elias Pettersson, first star of the week last week. He's been brilliant on this trip. The lotto line hitting jackpot after jackpot. Here's another one, lucky bounce of the JT Miller shot, and it's one nothing for Vancouver. But less than a minute later, the Blue Jackets would tie. Yegor Chinikov. And this, it's a nice little move on Casey DeSmith, who actually played well in this game. That would make it 1-1. Now here's a great pass. This is the third line doing its good work. Watch the pass by Teddy Bluger. Right there. Just whips it in front, and Connor Garland's waiting for it. And it's about a nanosecond on his stick, and then it's in the back of the net. 2-1 for Vancouver. But a power play goal for the Blue Jackets ties it up again. Dmitry Voronkov tips it in. Adam Boquist with the shot. There's a deflection. 2-2. But then the Canucks score on a power play. I know there's one less player on the ice, but you cannot leave number 40 this wide open for that long of a time. Because if you do, he's going to do this. 3-2 for the Canucks after two. Now, usually that's money in the bank leading after two periods. But I think the Canucks just sort of wore down. Dmitry Voronkov with another goal. This one, this is the only one you can blame. The only bad moment for Casey DeSmith today. Shouldn't let that one go in short side. Then the shootout, Kirill Marchenko kind of pokes it through. And then it's up to Pew Suter to keep this thing going. But he's not able to beat Elvis. There's an Elvis in goal. And it's a heartbreak hotel for the Canucks. Nice. Well, I had to think of one Elvis song. Uh, Columbus, 4-3. Yeah, I, I'm ready. It feels like a month road trip. And like I said, we enjoyed it. You know, it was fun. We, we had a, you know, some played in some really important games for our group and we excelled in most of it. So we're, we're happy with where we're at. We don't like the way that we played today, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, good to, we're excited to go home. We were a tired group. I mean, it's kind of some mistakes that we usually don't make. I think it was just a mentally, it was a tough game for some guys. Um, but we hung in there, you know. Hell of a trip. Got really proud of the guys. And, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit. I mean, uh, you know, digging hard to even get this point. It's important to hydrate and it's important to stretch. Sidney Crosby knows this. 
Kraken came in red hot, nine in a row. But uh, Sid gets two, and Surrey's Tristan Jari allows zero, and the Penguins beat the Kraken by the score of three to nothing. Martin Luther King Day down in the States. That's why there were a lot of afternoon games. Let's go all the way down under where Felix Oje Aliassime was taking on Dominic Thiem at the Australian Open. Great rally here. Felix won the first two sets. Looked like he was going to get by this in straight sets, but then Thiem won two in a row, so they had to go to a fifth set, but Felix Oje Aliassime on the round two. Milos Ronic did not get the round two. He had to stop his match because of a hip issue. Highmark Stadium in Buffalo. They didn't even have enough time to clean off all the snow in the stands. But those are tough fans. They don't care. They'll sit on snow. They'll sit on ice to watch their team play. Bills Mafia having a good time. Dawson Knox with a touchdown to make it 7-0 over Pittsburgh. Then Dalton Kincaid, perhaps a distant relative of Reuben Kincaid, the manager of the Partridge family. 14-0. Uh, and look at Josh Allen here. At some point, I think the Steelers thought he might slide. Maybe there. Nope. He just keeps going and going. 52-yard touchdown run. And, of course, they celebrate with the snow confetti in Buffalo. And they win it 31-17. They'll host the Chiefs on uh, January 21st, which, if I'm not very much mistaken, is this Sunday. Is it not? Uh, the 21st? I didn't, I, I didn't really want to make me. you do math. What? It is. Oh, someone upstairs has a calendar. Yes, it is. Justin has it. All right. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Why you don't have to park your bike just because it gets cold outside. That's next. Jordan Armstrong joins us now from the newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, we just got word that the Coquihalla Highway is closed southbound. There's been a crash involving several vehicles near the Great Bear Snowshed, so we're watching that tonight. Also at 11, gas prices are dropping. The lowest seems to be in Mission, where it's going for just under $1.40 per litre. We'll have a roundup of prices across the region. As well, we're in touch with the Ministry of Transportation. We're hoping to learn more about what happened on Highway 1 in Coquitlam this afternoon and whether it was, in fact, another overpass strike involving a truck with an overheight load, in this case, a helicopter. So we'll have the very latest at 11 o'clock. Chris? Certainly doesn't look good, does it? All right, Jordan. Thank you very much for that. Much of Canada is locked in a deep freeze right now with messy roads and dangerous conditions, but there's a brave group of commuters who refuse to let the cold weather slow them down, even if they're only on two wheels. Global's Uday Rana has the story. Between high gas prices and the rising cost of living, some Canadians feel the cost of owning and maintaining a vehicle simply isn't worth it for them. That's why they are turning to a mode of transportation that's been around for 200 years, the bicycle. Winter biking, once seen as an extreme activity, is now being seen by some as a viable way to commute, even in the snow and the cold. Doug Clark, president of Bike Calgary, has been biking to work for 30 years. He says the cost savings have been significant. It meant our, our family could do with one less vehicle, so there was you know less insurance, less vehicle costs, maintenance, all of that. So I truly think that in my case, uh, doing it over a you know 30 plus year period, I was able to retire early. According to Rate Hub, Canadians spend an average of $1,100 a month on their cars. 
While the cold may seem daunting to first-time bike commuters, for winter biking fans, it's not the cold, but the lack of winter-maintained bike infrastructure that is the biggest challenge. That's things like reliably ploughed bike lanes and safe routes. Montreal, where the city ploughs the bike lanes, saw 100,000 bike trips in the first half of January. That's up from the same period in January 2022 and 2023. Clark says the advent of e-bikes and cargo bikes are also making it possible for people with families to bike year-round. Bike advocates say as long as you layer up and cover your hands and your feet, most winter days should be good to ride in. And even if the cold stings, the potential savings on gas or car insurance can help ease the chill. Odirana, Global News, Toronto. It is going to be very difficult to ride anywhere on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Last word on weather before we go, Christy. So really, the key is tune in tomorrow. We'll have a much better idea of what we're expecting. It begins sort of evening hours tomorrow, but avoid non-essential travel Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. We've been warned. So have all the <laughs> municipalities. Let's see how it works out. Thanks, Christy. And thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.